Welcome back to Bat Forest Radio. Uh, as you'll have heard, we are foregoing the intro music, all the bells and whistles this week. Uh, it feels a little too celebratory, though we will be celebrating the career of Neil Adams, who we unfortunately lost on April 28th. So uh, this week we'll be discussing Neil's legacy in comics, as well as the influence he had on the entire industry as an artist who really changed the temperature of superhero comics and was a co-creator of characters like Ra's al Ghul, Man Bat, uh, John Stewart, Green Lantern, uh, tons of stuff that, that he brought to the industry, to, to the art. And we're just some comic fans who chat about comics. So to add another dimension to this episode, we wanted to add some thoughts from some of Neil's sort of contemporaries in comics and examine the influence he had on other comic creators. Uh, so uh, we reached out to some of our comic friends and throughout the episode, we will be including some voice recordings graciously provided to us by Jock, Lieber Mayo, Jason Fabok, Paul Pope, and Doug Mankey. But here live with us this week is TZ in Jersey. Hola. And Tom in California. Hello. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. Now, uh, yeah, guys, I think like we've all been reading comics long enough and we've all been to, to enough cons. Uh, I know we've all had uh, our experiences over the years, both reading Neil's work and uh, I'm sure meeting him in person. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think we mentioned it. I, I can't remember what episode it must. Oh, yeah, with Clay, uh, Clay McCormick, where it was probably like the day before we had yeah. him on. But something that I always remember, uh, Neil Adams always had a massive table at every convention Huge. that I would go to. Just massive table, multiple tables. Like the, the size of like a small regional con. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just always had original art with him that he was selling, always doing commissions, just... Anytime you go to, his, I, I remember like constantly going up to his table. He was never not drawing for the most part. Ever. The only times he wasn't drawing is when he was signing, when fans were coming through, or if he was talking to like somebody else or a creator. But even then, he's always he was always sitting down with his sleeves rolled up in his dress shirt and his tie. Always had a dress shirt. Always had always. a tie. Always had a khakis, and he's always drawing. Always in between talking and all that. So that's what I remember. And like till the end man like i know his health was declining and um you know you could see that you could see uh, you know, there was apparent signs that his health was declining but even through that he was still drawing you know to the end and uh he was a hustler like that's if, if like you asked me what's one word to describe him he was a hustler like this guy just never was not working he was always working and constantly just putting out work you know, and it's just non nonstop. Well, yeah, it's easy. I I think you know when I think about Neil, um, to me I'm like, man, Neil always he's the guy that invented the comic book signature, right? Like he's the one he's one of the first guys that made a buck off of uh, signing his name and having a table, and there would be no uh, Comic Con or no personal brand or no Image Comics where where artists officially become their own brands. If it wasn't for Neil Adams, he's the guy that started it. Um, to me, that's, that's what's always been ingrained in my head. And that's what makes him so special. Um, he taught other people. And also he kind of, with his background taught other artists to move on from that corporate lifestyle or from the, from, you know, the main machine and, represent yourself in your career where you can and um that's what makes him that pinnacle uh artist in time there would be no other guys like todd mcfarland or jim lee uh, without neil or you know frank miller that's inspired by him like to me and i've heard a lot of people say it but he's the father figure to all the guys that we we look up to yeah yeah and that's a uh... I was thinking about that uh, after Neil passed because, you know, I'd, working in a comic shop, I'm, I'm always seeing sort of that next generation come in. You know, you're always seeing kids come in and getting their first comic. And I was thinking about that with Neil. Like, 
10 years from now, a kid will be born who will get into comics 10 years after, you know, so 20 years from now getting into comics. And his favorite artist will be someone who was influenced by someone who is influenced by Neil Adams. And, you know, so he, he's influential today. He was influential 30 years ago. He will be influential 30 years from now. You know, it, it, that's that's not going away, that effect that he had. Yeah, you you know, the perfect word to describe him is he, um, and as time goes, you know, he, he's timeless. Um, what he does when you, you know, I was kind of flipping through some of the gra- the trades that I have of his older stuff and you look at it and it still looks fresh to you. Um, you see that transition where he is the father of the Bronze Age. Like he created the Bronze Age where Batman was not pulpy and campy. He made it cool for adults to grow up and still read comics. You know, it wasn't um, that bubblegum Batman of of the the golden age and the silver age. Um, there were social problems and Batman responded to his time era because of the art of Neil. Yeah. It, uh, he added a lot of drama, like specifically right. to his covers too. I remember like, I mean the first, like if you think of Neil Adams, first thing I think of is Neil Adams covers his cover right. work. Sure. And that was huge. Like I'll put some up real quick, but some of the most famous stuff, obviously um, some of the Batman covers that he did and, that one in the middle right there. I don't know if yeah. that was the first one I ever saw, but like one of the ones I think of big time when I think of his work, that 251 Batman with the playing card and the Joker. Like that's just look at the dram- dramatic, you know, uh, placement of the characters and just the, the, the way he uses drama in the cover, you know, like uh, it just, you, you immediately just want to buy the book just based off the cover. Cause it's, you know, so, so awesome and dramatic. Do you guys remember what, like, do you remember what the first, if like, do you remember what your first Neil Adams image was? I was trying to think of that, and it's funny. I, I don't think I can pinpoint what exactly it was, and I think it's because I can't remember a time not knowing him and his work. Like, it feels like as long as I knew comics, I was familiar with his stuff. Like, he was he was right there from the time that I got, got into mm-hmm. comics. I, w- I thought I had uploaded it, but one of my favorites was, um, the demon of Gothos mansion. It's, uh, yes. mm-hmm. issue two twenty seven, And I wish I, I thought I had uploaded it on here, but I do not yeah. have it. I, I, I probably... actually have that one included in the, uh, the YouTube thumbnail for this episode. Okay, good. So, so yeah, that's you'll... another great one. That's the one that that'll be in there. So, that's the first, I don't think it was the first Neil Adams image that I saw, but it was the first one where I went, oh shit, that looks dope. And I think it was the first time where I really stopped to like break everything down. And um, uh, two reasons. Number one is like, that's so when I think of Neil Adams, I always think of that cover now. And that's the first thing I think of. And number two, um, there's a, a Austin-based print shop called uh, Nakatomi. And it's, I think his name is Tim Nakatomi. And... Um, he runs Bernie Wrightson's, uh, like the Bernie Wrightson estate. He now is the guy who kind of runs like the art department of the estate and, and like selling the official prints and, and selling them, putting together the Indiegogo campaigns that they've been doing. And he read, he, he did a version of it. He basically did a homage to that as a poster and it's fucking awesome. And I mean, obviously the original is awesome. That one's awesome, but that's one that comes to mind. And then I think, um, one of our, one of our, guests that we got some uh, info from or some insight from also mentioned this one um, as I think his introduction to it. Again, the drama, you know, the Ra's al Ghul, Rachel Ghul with uh, in the silhouette in the background and um, shooting Robin dead. Like, that's crazy. That that cover, if you think about the time, like, <laughs> it's Robin getting shot yeah. uh, <laughs> with a Luger. <laughs> and, and that being just a, a big iconic issue itself, aside from the cover, that's one of the issues I have uh, hanging on my wall. It's, that's the first appearance of Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, so that's... Um, and then speaking of him as a character, yeah. uh, issue badass, 244, yeah. yeah. And this this one's so, so iconic that it was kind of reimagined in the animated series um, when uh, Batman and, and uh, 
uh, Roz fight each other, and they take their sh- or Batman at least takes his like <laughs> he takes his suit off, but he keeps his cowl on in yeah. the fight. Um, uh, and uh, also the the CW Arrow TV show uh, oh God. co-opted this uh, this scene, having their Roz Al Ghul fight instead of Batman. Uh, Oliver Queen had a, a sword fight with Ra's al Ghul on like a mountain mm. instead yeah. of in the desert. Um, another one is like the three point stance. This one isn't the actual image, but similar that cover in the middle. The Batman, mm-hmm. like the Batman Neil Adams run. Yeah. Um, that's super iconic. And a lot of uh, artists have kind of redone a version of it. Um, more covers here of his work. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think uh, as we listen, we'll hear some of the other guests talk about um, realism and how he like really made a realistic, grounded ver- version of comic book characters. And it made me think, hearing just as I was quickly putting those together, um, I realized our favorite, co- some of our favorite comic artists, like um, you know Jason Fabic, um, David Finch, Lieber Mayho. Um, guys like that are like super hyper realism, you know, especially right. Bermejo. I mean, they try to go for as much like grit, nooks and crannies, every little wrinkle yeah. in the face. Yeah, like Lee's art looks more real than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and hearing these guys talk about it now is like, oh, that makes so much sense is what's awesome about us in our generation is that we get the guys who were kids who saw Neil Adams as they were kids, like little kids, and they were like, that's where they got started. But then the 90s happened, and then they got to see, like, Sylvester, Jim Lee, um, Todd McFarlane, all those guys. They saw their work, and they're like, oh, my God. So they had that realism. Then they had the 90s, like, massive, just, you know, huge, roided-out, big, bombastic. And they combined, they, like, mixed that with their... With their uh, with their art. And so now it's, that's like what clay man is. That's what, you know, Jason fabric is. That's what, uh, Libra Mayho is, is like, it's nineties plus Neil Adams. And it's like, we get to have that now. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking about is, you know, he, that's, that's kind of where I see the inspiration the most is amongst those guys. And, uh, uh one, one thing I, I do want to point out, uh, bear with us as we talk ourselves here. And as we, uh, cycle through these voice recordings uh, that you're going to hear. You're going to hear some repetition of things about Neil. You know, that, that's inevitable. Some of the things that we talk about, you'll you'll hear uh, you'll hear the guys who sent us messages uh, going over these same things as well. But uh, just, yeah, we'll we'll just have to. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 unavoidable. Well, let's let's have that prompt the discussion. You guys want to get into it? There you go. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to hear from. Uh, Doug Mankey first, right? Yes, this is Doug Mankey. I was eight years old when I first encountered Neil Adams' work in Batman 232. I'd been enamored with everything Marvel for a couple of years, so this was a chance encounter with Neil's work and a DC comic, and it remained very memorable, uh, even to this day. Even though I was so young, I had no problem recognizing his artistic as well as storytelling superiority. It's pretty obvious. Neil set the bar incredibly high for anyone who wanted to draw or create comics. And then he mentioned, um, I think he said 232, right? And that would be, I believe, this cover, is it not? Uh, yeah, I think that's 232, yeah. yeah. So, again, that's uh, that was the first thing that Doug Mankey saw as a kid that like that he remembers as far as uh, Neil Adams. So, massive. Uh, and Doug, Doug, I mean, like, it's another version. Doug, Doug is a great example of someone who is, like, like so inspired by Adams. You could see it, really, so... And and super accomplished himself too. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and let's. Uh, I think our our next one um, did a good job of. He knew what people might say, so he kind of went a different route and gave uh, an alternative kind of view on uh, Neil. This is Lee. He did not intro himself, so this is Lee Bermejo. So I'm sure a lot of people will be talking about. Uh, Neil's huge contribution to creators' rights and and, um, the things he did for us in terms of uh, helping establish a royalty structure um, and just 
you know, getting, getting creators to be recognized in various ways, um, more than, than they were in the past. That's obviously a huge deal, but, um, I'll let people who are far more articulate than, than me, than me talk about that. Um, but I think that, that something that needs to really be remembered about Neil is the fact that before his work came along, um, at least in terms of, of, of superhero comics, um, realism had only been pushed so far. You know, his, his work really at the time was considered to be a game changer in terms of the, the realism. And, and um, you know, people in the past like Hal Foster and Frank Frazetta, you know, they, they obviously had had styles that were very realistic and, and beautiful kind of illustrative uh, styles that that must have influenced Neil as, as well. But um, I think, uh, you know, when, when Neil came onto the scene in terms of American superhero comics, he changed the the face of, of what people were used to seeing, the level of artistry people were used to seeing. And now these days, you know, it's difficult to look at that work with the same eyeballs because um, there's been a lot of examples of people who've who've done have taken that baton and run with it and done other things. You know, we have we live in a world with Alex Ross and and Bill Sienkiewicz and and um, people who you know who've arguably pushed realism farther than. Than anybody else, but Neil's work at the time really um, blew that door open on that, and um, I think that he enabled people to start to think about those stories as being uh, something more than just throwaway um, entertainment. You know, uh, I think that that the realism that he presented. Um, allowed readers to interact with those heroes in those worlds more than they ever did. It was clearly the case with Batman. What what he did to, with that character was game changing in the in the sense that he really took him back to this dark his darker roots, but also gave him this this figure and and backgrounds and and a musculature that. Um, shadows and, and um, ambiance that enabled people to fall into those stories and really believe them. And so as, um, as a fan of realism in comics, I, I think we all owe uh, Neil an incredible debt of gratitude for changing the face of um, American comic books. Awesome uh, insight by uh, our buddy Lieber Mayho. Well, um, that uh, that we touched on there that I just wanted to he he sort of glossed over it at the beginning as something that most people are going to talk about, but it makes me want to point out specifically. Uh, we talked about the influence that he had not only on the art but the industry, and especially if if, if you're someone who has ever purchased original art pages from a comic book. You have Neil Adams to thank for that ability that the, the artists now keep those pages that, that they hand in to the publishers and can resell those because those all used to be kept by the publishers and then were eventually just destroyed. And, uh, and Neil fought to change that and that became a, another massive uh, source of income and uh, you know, a way to make a living for for these artists yeah um we had the doorman asleep at the uh at the job and the velvet rope was closed but we've opened it and gramps is not with us um hey gramps hey guys texas uh gramps you had been uh hearing a little bit backstage but what do you recall either being like your first image of neil adams or impression like what was the first thing that you remember about him well, the thing that's uh, struck out with his artwork for me is that just like what Bermejo said, he, he took Batman back to being a creature of the night and almost um, 
you know, almost this frightening image, you know, that, that he always should have been. And, and even was back, you know, during the, uh, you know, golden era, but, you know, Neil brought a presence to his Batman that, I mean, you couldn't take your eyes off of him, you know, not just the, uh, I guess they keep saying realism, but basically the anatomically correct proportions made you believe a real person could be Batman, you know? Mm. Um, And just the way that, you know, he made him move and, and, and spring into action and fight the the villains and his expressions on his face, you know, um, that's always what struck out to me and those covers like you guys were showing. I mean, my gosh. Um, I think one of his also most iconic covers and you guys may have shown it. Sorry for popping on late was, um, was it the one with Batman's almost kind of like a, a ghostly shadow in the back. And then you have the, the castle in the foreground yeah, is it I, the? I, it's gonna be the thumbnail. Mad, the uh, the god oh, fucking. I have. Is it, it the phone. Mad Monk? Yeah, it's the Mad Monk issue. Yeah. Well, there's that. That's two different issues now that you mention it, and I'm thinking of. So there's Demon of Gothos Mansion, and then there's Mad Monk. Both of them um, are similar, but they have like the, those two covers are so badass. Um, with like the woman kind of climb, or she's being chased by. Uh, the Mad Monk, and he's like that silhouette of Batman in the background. That is that is one of the ones that like so sick, dude. And uh, if, if anyone wants to look it up, the uh, the Demon of Gothos Mansion is uh, Batman number two twenty seven. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Um, and then, Gramps, you were also mentioning uh, the realism of the body and, and looking like it's an actual man under a suit. That's a good example, right? Yeah, there. you give that hairy chest, Batman. Seventies <laughs> <laughs> chest hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I forget. Yeah, like you, that's that's definitely a good point, Gramps. That uh, these are these are real. Like you know, they're not like they're those bodies are not like roided out bodies. Those are like that's a, just a very athletic man. And right. It's a yeah. And I mean, you know, the thing is also, you know, for the time, I mean, in the mid seventies, you know, working out wasn't like a thing. You know, I mean, this is how men looked. Yeah. Um, watch, watch. You know the movies from that era. This is what your, you know, normal man looked like. I mean, yes, um, he is a little bit more muscular than just a normal guy, and should be, but he's not like overly proportioned, where he looks like um, just some, you know, god. Mm. Um, and also, mm. I don't know if he designed it or not, but this has always been my favorite. Um, title on the comics. Mm. The logo. The logo, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he, he had uh, a lot of his covers were with that logo in the back. And uh, he he also expressed fear on Batman's face like no one else I don't think had before that. Yeah. You know, and, that, that sort of emoting through the cowl. Like horror. You know, you were talking about other artists that he influenced one of my favorite artists, and I think that has, you know, a direct reference, and I wish he were still here to talk to us about it, but it was Norm Brayfogle. Yeah. Um, Norm just seemed to be like, he captured that essence of, of um, you know, the the realism, but also kind of expanded it and, and chose his own style, but it was definitely there. Um and like you said, in the facial expressions. Yeah. Ray Fogel, go ahead, tease us. I, I like what uh, what Lee was saying with, I mean, he nailed on all points, but, and it, and it kind of speaks to his art too, but you see the anatomy and the realism, but there's this illumination in every single scene, and especially in the covers, um, where it just illuminates. And there's a vibrancy to it. There's a tone. Um, it's very cinematic. Um, that's what he started. 
Uh, no one else did that before his time. And I think coming from his background of not starting his career with DC, where this guy was in advertising and he did horror comics, he knows about storytelling through his drawings without even mm-hmm. writing a word, right? So that's what makes him so incredible. Like these collages are really cinematic posters um, that you're seeing um, even in his pages, you know, like there's such a storytelling element without the words even uh, put on page when you see his artwork Mm. and that's what's inspired everyone. Um, Have you guys seen his Conan, the barbarian covers? Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) He's got a big barrel chest on that Conan. I mean, it's just unreal um, how good those are. Remember that uh, zombie Batman story he did in, I think it was in the last volume they did of Batman Black and White. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was where he used uh, you know, the the zombie uh, idea to reflect uh real life situations that would make Batman powerless, you know? So it it would show Batman being strong and powerful fighting, uh, fighting crime. But then when it came to like social injustice, like uh, a mother who, who's, uh, you know, was being evicted from her apartment or something that Batman showed up there because this woman was in trouble. But then when he finds out, you know what it is, like, well, he, Batman lost his power because, you know, this is someone who needs help, but Batman couldn't help. And, you know, he, he withered into, uh, into this zombie looking Batman. Mm. And then, uh, DC did a, a black and white statue of that. You know, yeah. uh, Neil hated that, uh, that design, like for, that for was, a statue. That was funny that he, cause I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, and, I, Mar- I own it. I'm, I'm looking yeah, at it me right too. now. Yeah. Yeah, Marilyn loved it. Yeah, me too. Uh, (laughs) I I had the opportunity to meet him twice. Um, And I bought a print of the zombie Batman and also Walking Dead where he has um, Rick firing a pistol, blowing the head off of a zombie. And he was just like... He did. It was, he, he was like, I don't know why people like these zombies. <laughs> but that's what sells, so I, I just keep drawing them. That's you know? funny. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, let's hear from our good friend uh, Jacques, shall we? Yes. Hey, everyone. This is Jacques here uh, in my studio in southwest England in the UK. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just want to share a few thoughts uh, about, about Neil Adams. Um Growing up in the UK, I, I tended to be, um, I was more into 2000 AD, which was the comic that, that, that I read grew, growing up. I wasn't so much of a DC and Marvel um, fan, really, or in as much as I didn't really have access to them uh, when I was young. But um, we used to have kind of like occasional sort of, uh, you know, like um, Christmas time, they were called annuals, and, and, and you'd get this hardback reprint that was published by someone in the UK with some Superman reprints or some Batman reprints. And um uh, you know, it's only in sort of later life I've realised that the, the the Batman reprints, the ones that really uh, that I remember that really struck a chord, were 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 pretty much almost always ultimately drawn by Neil Adams with maybe Dick Giordano inking. And um, you know, he just had like a gravitas and a reality that, that I loved and brought something uh, quite special to, to to the character. Took him back to his roots a little bit, and. Um, yeah, you know, so, so even even early on when I wasn't really aware of, of the sort of mechanics of making comic books and drawing comic books, I was sort of aware of his kind of visual stamp. And, and um, as I talk to you now, I'm finishing up uh, my own Batman series, Batman One Dark Knight, uh, issue three, and my studio is covered with uh, mood boards. I've got these kind of like, you know, two by three foot boards, maybe six to eight of them, um, covered in printouts of various kind of Batman art that, that, I, that I love and appreciate that's the, uh, sort of that uh, is over my drawing board as I work, trying to sort of be, be immersed in kind of the Batman's visual language that I love and to, to try and bring to uh, Batman One Dark Knight. And, 
you know, Neil is is all over it. It's uh, as I look around now, you know, the, the, there's a lot of guys on here. Um, you know, Bernie Wrightson from uh, the, the, the Swamp Thing issue in uh, I think it was number seven in the seventies that, that he did uh, with, with Batman uh, made an appearance with some beautiful panels with his cape flowing. There's uh, uh, who else have I got? I mean, all all kinds of stuff. Mazu Kelly, um, uh, Klaus Janssen, some terrific stuff. Um, but uh, there's maybe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight at least um, uh, very you know striking, famous Neil images, um, and 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 that's 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 what I love about him most is that he's, he was able to create other iconic imagery uh, using Batman um, and his cape and, and the way that that it flowed and and actually you know, it, the just just the way that, that he drew the figure was was um was uh, pretty special for that time i would say the anatomy is super good it's dynamic it's flowing it's exciting but it's also kind of gra- grounded in reality and um you know that that's that's always been something that i've sort of uh, uh gone for in my own work and and um again you know n- not necessarily that i was that, that he was ingrained as i was growing up but i realize now just just what an influence um uh, he, he's had on me over the years, and uh, it's you know very sad news uh, that that we've lost him. But um, but you know not to be too melodramatic, but you know pe- people people live on through the through the, the things they do, and and um, and as I'm sat here talking to you guys, um, Neil Neil is surrounding me right now, which uh, which which is something. All right, so uh, yeah, all the, all the best to you all, and um, I hope to see you all soon. Cheers. I I love that story. Like it's just the the different ways that you can see neil was influencing people and you in, in a case like jocks you knew that it wasn't like the name neil adams you know it wasn't someone uh, someone saying oh yeah yeah neil adams yeah I've, I've heard that name so yeah 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 like that someone who lived in a different part of the world who didn't have regular monthly access to the issues that neil was doing but when he got the chance to get those collected editions later on in life he realized that that was whose art was speaking to him yeah he mentioned again the realism the anatomy the bodies and that's like totally a visual thing that came across for him and the flowing dynamic uh we were talking about the zombie statue i grabbed mine real quick here's the yeah here's the neil adams black and white that he hated that i love (laughs) (laughs) so badass Maybe it's because he didn't like how it's the traditional Neil Adams anatomy, because he's all a withered zombie. Yeah, but. he just from talking to him, he just felt that they were gross. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you, you I, I remember zombies? that 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 print that he was selling. He didn't want to do a print of it, but Marilyn told him to, you know, because <laughs> yeah. because it was something that she knew people will, people were going to want. Right. And uh, one one year, you you guys will remember some of this. Uh, I was chatting with Neil one year at a con. Uh, was, I think it was the the last time I saw him right before the pandemic. And uh, we talked about Neil coming on the podcast. And it almost happened. I remember messaging you guys uh, after I spoke with him because yeah, he, he said, yeah, he wanted to do it. And we were going to do it the the next evening. So like I still would have been in whatever city the con was at. Uh, so I would have been doing it from a hotel room again. So we exchanged information. You know, we, they gave me phone numbers and all this stuff to to set this up. We were going to do it the very next evening, and then the next morning, uh, I was still in the hotel room getting dressed to go to the con for that day, and my phone rings, and I see it's uh, it says Marilyn Adams on the phone. Well, for one. This is crazy. <laughs> Neil Adams' wife is just calling my phone here. Uh, but uh, it, the the call was to uh, explain that they realized that morning that they were no longer going to be in town in by evening because they were flying out late afternoon uh, to be back in New York the next morning. So you know we made plans to reschedule, and unfortunately, we just never got around to doing that reschedule, and it's. Now that's something that uh, I will always regret. Mm. Hey, man, but at least you called your phone. It's yep. pretty crazy. Yeah, itself. I got that. Just having that story is awesome. Um, let's, let's hear from our friend Jason Fabic. 
This is Jason Fabok, and here are my thoughts about the passing of Neil Adams. So there's been a lot of great things said about Neil Adams over the past week or so since his passing. Uh, we know that he was a legendary artist. We know that uh, he's one of the best comic book artists of all time. You know, he fought for creator rights. Um, he did some wonderful work on many different books, both DC and Marvel. He was a bit of a tough tough guy, but also a, a gentleman. Um, and uh, I think that uh, one thing that he really did well was he always strove for excellence in his work. And you can see that even, uh, even in the stuff that he was publishing, even just recently, a couple years back, you know, his work, he put his heart and his soul into every panel that he drew. And, uh, you know, he really... He really wanted his books and the things that he worked on to be of excellent quality. Um, and I think that that's something that all comic book artists and writers should strive to do, is always to to be excellent in everything that they do. Um, Neil was before my time, really. Um, I didn't start reading comics till I was a teenager, and this would have been in the late, late 90s, uh, early 2000s. So his work had already been out for a while. You know, I was into Jim Lee and and uh, some of the Image Comics guys, but it's interesting that uh, Neil Adams, his artwork, uh, even though I wasn't reading it, I knew of his artwork. So when you see these classic images of his, it's like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. You know, because it's just it's just iconic artwork that's been used in many different things over the years. And uh, looking back on his work. Um, uh, it's it's very dynamic. It uh, it does have that mix of like a realism, but also has a uh, a fantastical cartoony element to it as well that you need in comic books. So he mixed this two these two sort of uh, uh, styles together, and uh, his Batman is excellent. It's very iconic. It's the Batman that most people I think think about in their heads when they think about what Batman should look like. He had many different uh, great covers over the years that he's drawn with the character. Um, I think that, uh, um, you know, he inspired an entire generation of comic book artists who were kids reading comics in the 70s as young kids. And then those uh, artists then were the ones who really came to fame in the, uh, you know, 80s and into the 90s. And I think everybody... I think every comic book artist can really appreciate the things that he's done for the art form and, um, and pushing forward, uh, uh, the art form. And, uh, uh, I'm sure we all have Neil Adams stories as well. My, my Neil Adams story was, uh, I was very young in the industry and I remember sitting in the hotel at Fan Expo Toronto with uh, Larry Ganim and David Finch and a couple other artists, and we were just waiting to go to dinner, and Neil Adams walked in the lobby. I think he was just coming back from the convention, and everybody just jumped up, and they, you know, everybody wanted to go shake his hand, and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it because I, I just felt like he was larger than life. Like he was like he's like a it's a legend. You know, I didn't feel worthy to go talk to him. Right? I mean, who am I? kind of thinking that's what I was thinking in my head and Larry again was like you should go meet him he's really nice you know and then you know a couple years later I saw him at a convention and I decided to go up and and just say hi and uh, I wanted to buy a print and get something signed from him and so uh so that's what I did and I just had a great conversation with him and he was showing me some stuff from I think his uh, Batman Odyssey book I believe that's what it's called and uh, he was showing me stuff like that and kind of talking about his his workflow and kind of talking about what his ideas were with the book. And it was just a really great conversation. And, uh, and um, you know, just looking at his work, it, you know, seeing his sketches up close and whatnot is just excellent. And uh, it's great work. So that was my Neil Adams story. I, I, I enjoyed being able to meet him. Um, uh there's some artists like like Bernie Wrights, and I missed my chance to to meet him, and uh, I look back on that and kind of you know it's kind of sad that I didn't get to meet 
you know, guys like Bernie Wrightson or even Stan Lee. I never met him, but I got to meet Neil Adams and that was, that was pretty cool. And, uh, and I would always kind of say hi to him if I was at a con or after that, or just, you know, even just stop by and, or wave or, or smile, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's sad that, um, we see some of our heroes in the comic book industry getting old and, and pass away, but you know, their, their work lives on in the comics. And I think, um, you know, the, the, the Neil Adams stuff, uh, is great, great Batman work. And it's something that you can give to a, a young, a young reader or a kid who's interested in Batman and be like, Hey, check this out. I think you'll really like this. And, uh, I, during, when I was working on three jokers, I was reading, I went through and I read, uh, quite a few Neil Adams, um, stories involving the Joker, just cause I wanted to get, um, a bit of a feel for, for that as well. And, um, so yeah, uh, it's sad that he's passed away and my, my heart goes out to his family, but, uh, again, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, he's left his mark on the industry and his, uh, in that inspiration and, and that, that mark will keep, will keep growing. And, and, um, just like, you know, people are still interested in Jack Kirby, you know, or Steve Ditko and the same will go with, uh, Neil Adams. I think people will still be looking at his work in 30 to 40 years and still, uh, really appreciating it. And, uh, and, um, and it'll inspire, uh, other generations of artists who will uh, come after. Very well said by uh, Jason Fabic. Yeah, I, I love that uh, everyone does have a Neil story. And uh, it reminded me of, uh, I think this was at uh, the last San Diego before uh, the pandemic. Uh, I was there with uh, my friend Dave. Tom, you'll remember Dave mm. uh, fr- from uh, from our trip to San Diego. Uh, he was in his uh, full plastic man costume. You know, he has the, the hair and the glasses. You know, he naturally has a resemblance to plastic man as it is. So he it really plays well into the, he had the, the whole suit and the long arm. And uh, we were passing by Neil at one point and Neil called him over for a photo. <laughs> yeah. So that was really he, cool. did he use, did he use his extended selfie hand to do it? Not, not for, not for that one. Uh, I, I grabbed his phone and took the photo for oh, that okay. one. But uh, yeah, the the selfie hand was very cool too. We we do have the video of us with Bruce Tim. <laughs> That's funny, man. That's so funny. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's. I remember like he like Neil. It's funny because I think was it Jason that just said that he was a tough guy, but he was also like a nice guy. Too. Yeah, yeah. Like Neil, some like he was. You know, he's getting older at the at the end there. So you know, he was from an older generation. Um, you can tell. He was Neil Adams because he didn't give a fuck about yeah. like what you thought about him, and he was yeah. just going to do what he wanted to. Exactly, and that's kind of why he was so successful in getting, you know, rights for so many artists is because he was like, no, like fuck you guys, like you're going to pay us, or else you're not going to have us. But one thing that I remember is like it must have been like near the it was San Diego, it was near the end of the con, uh, the day at least, and like, he must have been tired. I mean, he'd been there since the doors open, so um, some guys going through the line. I forgot what the guy's name was, but like the guy's like, Oh, this is my name. And then like Neil was just like tired and he's like, Oh, can you sign it for my son? He's like, all right. And he goes, what's your son's name? He's like, Oh, his name is this. And he's like, isn't that your name? And he's like, yes. And he's like, you named your son after yourself. He's like, yes. It's also my grandfather's name. And he's like, man, break the chain. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, it's like how boring. <laughs> The guy's like, yes, it was. It's my name. It was also my grandfather's name. And then Neil was like, boring. But like, oh man, Dumb, that's funny. Hate it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Neil. Neil comes from that generation of you know the guys like Jim Steranko, like you know Jim Steranko, the the man who slapped Bob Kane in the face <laughs> <laughs> at San Diego. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah. So it's it's always fun to hear Neil Adams stories from people. And you know, I was trying to look for it. But I, I don't know if it's because, like, they took it off and now it's part of his, like, network that you have to subscribe for. But Kevin Smith had the best um, interview, yeah. like, hands down, the best interview with Neil Adams. Because they sat down for, like, 
three and a half hours and it was just from start to finish like from his birth to his present day you know how he got into comics what he's done how like how he fought for for creator rights what they used like he was the one that was telling the story about how before him they would just take all the original art and after they were done with it it would just get stacked into a storage room and they just they had a guy whose whole job was to shred it all that was his whole job <laughs> like just to shred art so yeah um, insane dude and now you know hearing them talk about that uh i don't think people under, like especially like casual listeners or casual comic like fans they don't understand that um artists are not like rich you know they have to bust their ass just to make ends meet and the only way they live comfortably is if they have like uh an exclusive deal with whomever is paying them because these guys are all contract employees they're all like 1099 they don't have like benefits so that's why neil took it upon himself back then to ensure that if you're not gonna give us like the benefit of having a salary or benefits you're going to have to pay us and you're going to have to give us our art back because we have to make money to live. And well, so, he really taught artists to invest in themselves too. Yeah. You know, invest in their future. He, I know he, um, taught a lot of them, you know, how to financially plan for their future yeah. as well. Um, one thing that I always took away whenever I saw him at conventions, um, he was always drawing. He was never yeah. the guy that was at panels and doing all that stuff. He was working the entire time and in, you know, signing stuff. I mean, he, he always had long lines to sign. Um, if you bought prints, you could immediately take him over to sign for him right there or books. Um, so he was a hardworking guy. Yeah. And uh, I, I I hate the connotation of this word, but Neil was woke in his time. I I, I cringe to say that word, but um, as being part of the creation of the uh, John Stewart Green Lantern character, yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the one who wanted to. Uh, I believe his words were hit Guy Gardner with a bus and uh introduce a new green lantern and uh he wanted it to be uh to be a a person of color and you know he was adamant that you know they they were not going to uh i i believe it was julie schwartz was uh the editor at dc at the time you know he was running things and uh they were not maliciously but they were making the the same mistakes that you would expect them to make because they just didn't know better and neil was adamant about the things like no he i don't want him to be some gang banger or uh, uh an ex-convict or anything like that he he needs to be a, a functioning member of society that people can relate to and that was what led to john stewart's character being like a uh, a college graduate and an architect and, you know, a, a successful professional. And uh, when it came to the name, uh, he, he was going to uh, yell at Denny O'Neill for what he named him when he read the first script. And Denny was like, no, that, that wasn't me. That's, that's, that's uh, Julie's name. Go talk to him. So he goes and yells at Julie because they were originally naming uh, the character Lincoln Washington. And Neil went into Julie Schwartz's office and said, no, you, you're not giving him a slave name. That's a slave name. Give him a proper name. And Julie was like, oh, well, call him whatever you want. And he ended up calling, you know, coming up with John Stewart sort of uh, just off the top of his head. And uh, as Neil would point out, that you know, he, how would he have known that uh, John Stewart would uh, became, become later a late-night comedian? But uh, you know, he he was in in his time fighting against all of the mistakes that you would expect a publisher to make when attempting to create uh, a character that was a person of color. Yeah, just uh, constantly kind of above or uh, ahead of the curve, and and just constantly thinking, you know, a couple of steps before everybody else. And I think that's you know obviously came through in his art. 
and then also in just what he was, like you said, Gramps, you know, he's making sure to take care of the future and not live too much in the present, always knowing what's kind of coming down the line. But um, we got, we have one more person to hear from, and uh, I don't think he does, you know, we haven't heard uh, many places where he can be heard. So this is a real treat for us to hear from Paul Pope. So here is that. Hi, this is Paul Pope. Uh, just a word about the great Neil Adams, the mighty Neil Adams. He uh, has had such a large influence on the industry, it's hard to um, really estimate. Not just here in the States and North America, it's, I think, worldwide at this point. And um, I've been thinking of what one could possibly say about him at this point. This point's probably been made at other times as well by other people. Um, I think for the Silver Age artists, uh, you know, like you had the, the one end of what we would call like the high style of Marvel and DC would be Kirby or Ditko. You know, like the artists who had styles that were very flat in the best possible sense, a little bit grotesque and cartoonish. And then you had uh, Neil Adams, who brought a level of realism to his drawing, even though a lot of times it was hyper um, foreshortened. Uh, some of his anatomy would be improbable at times, but it felt real. So I think that was an important um, addition that he made. And then, you know, from there, we had many, many artists who credit him as a major influence. I would imagine, even though the contemporaries, uh, Gene Colan's career is probably uh, one of the beneficiaries uh, from Adam's arrival. And um, I believe Jim Lee is a fan as well. Uh, I think he, I've seen he cited Adams as a big influence. And um, obviously before Adams, we had people like Hal Foster, Alex Raymond, artists that might have been more from a school of realism uh, than what we think of as a lot of the cartoonists, you know, like whether it's Bob Kane, or Bill Finger, Jesse Marsh, uh, Alex Toth, my hero, you know, who worked in more of a reduced cartoon style. Uh, you know, Neil brought in a kind of a physical dynamism that we hadn't seen before outside of the artists I mentioned before, maybe Bern Hogarth, although I'm not the biggest fan of Bern Hogarth. So, um, personally, I only met Neil, I think twice and we never really spent that much time together, but always very friendly guy, very positive and all the people I know who have known him have had good things to say. And, uh, you know, my good friend, Frank Miller, uh, considers Neil a kind of a surrogate father. And um, he's been a huge impact on uh, Frank's life. So I think the best thing we can say about an artist who had as good and as long of a run as Neil is that, you know, he did great and uh, he left an impact. And um, that's something I think we all hope for at some point, you know, and eventually become educators and, um, you know, employers for other artists. So, but um, looking back on me personally, I think obviously I grew up, you know, looking at uh, Neil Adams' Silver Age stuff. I got a stack of comics from my uncle, which had a lot of, uh, you know, the Batman Robin comics, uh, the, uh, the Man Bat uh, Cycle, Ra's al Ghul, all that stuff on Batman. I used to wear a T-shirt that was designed by... Um, Neil, when I was a kid, you know, the Batman t-shirt. But I think for me, really, like when I really emerged as a comic book fan, when I was, I don't know, maybe 11 or 12, when the direct market first started up, is when he was doing uh, continuity comics. He, he had that strip called uh, Miss Mystic. But he also published uh, his anthology, Continuity. Uh, that was the name of it, and it's also the name of his company. He published a ton of great stuff, vivid color is really nice magazine and kind of leaning towards science fiction, a little bit of adult material, maybe you might say, but you know, nothing any more salacious than you might see in Epic magazine. And actually a lot of the same talents in some cases, but you know, he published, um, uh, Michael Golden, another hero of mine. I think obviously Golden has a, a debt to Neil as well. So I think for me personally, like, because, you know, my career has been 
little bit more of a, a balancing act between like indie and mainstream. I thought that was really inspiring how he uh, he already had his chops from all of the must be thousands of pages work he did for Marvel and DC, not to mention his commercial advertising stuff. Then he started a publishing company and published a lot of other artists. And, and to me, that was really eye-opening because, you know, that felt very groundbreaking at the time. You know, obviously I was aware that Mobius and his compatriots started Metal Alone, you know, and then that became heavy metal, of course. And, you know, so I, I felt like that was him doing something in an entrepreneurial sense that um, was bringing uh, new life and new blood into the industry. So... For me, that was the thing that I liked. And um, when I talked to Neil, I mainly talk about that stuff and about, um, you know, some of the artists he worked with. So well, I suppose the other um, elephant in the room here, which I should probably comment on, is that, you know, Neil was uh, uh, center uh, with trying to uphold um, artists' rights um, to get back the original art from the publishers. Uh, particularly championing Kirby. You know, I could tell you some stories about some of the things I've heard that have happened to, like, you know, Karl Barks' originals and Kirby's originals and all that stuff. And I think, you know, it's something very important that um, Neil did at a time when, you know, a lot of people weren't aware of the value of the original art that, you know, now is um, highly praised. So that's another important thing he did it's from sort of an artist activist point of view, I guess. So, I mean, this guy really is a titan. And, you know, if, if I call him the mighty Neil Adams, I mean, there's a reason for it, right? So that's that's what I have to say for this great artist. And we're uh, fortunate that he arrived and he did the work he did. So, again, thank you. Yeah. Paul Pope alluding a little bit to uh, the... Uh... I mean, I can't even believe Jack Kirby art was probably shredded. He didn't uh, even want to say it. He didn't even want to say it out loud. No, it's uh, didn't want to swear like that. <laughs> oh man, that's, but that's pretty much what he was saying. So, yeah, that's that's unbelievable. And I, I like I said, I I don't remember um, why or I I'm assuming it's because it was pulled off of like YouTube and streaming platforms to kind of go into his subscriber material on like Smodcast on his website. But I hope. There's a place where you can go listen to that Neil Adams interview with uh, Kevin Smith because he goes into great detail about that specifically and um, talks about um, how that was just like stuff that was stacking up in the in the offices. But um, yeah. Hmm. Just, uh, uh, cra- crazy hearing from another person, uh, you know, like that, that lineage of influence, you know, obviously uh as we had talked about, and Paul uh, mentioned it too, the influence that Neil had on Frank and, you know, Paul being so tight with Frank and obviously uh, influence being there as well. Man. Mm. Um, I also, we, I don't think many people touched on Manbat too. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites, I mean, awesome character, awesome um cover awesome art um so, uh, potentially something that could still be used like as far as films i know they did it in arkham probably the best version is in in the animated series aside from the comics um but like i love that shit you know the the monster stuff the the weird characters like that and that's that's one of them that's like so sick like so awesome and so many different artists and and writers have reused that character over and over again because they probably loved it from when they were you know kids looking through the uh, neil adams stuff so um also uh also dead man too um you know yeah uh, yeah he did some great dead man work dead man um brave in the bold with uh dead man um who god i'm trying to remember no it's, it's a different thing but yeah man like it's pretty nuts like i i'm trying to think about the what is the equivalent of someone of his caliber in his specific industry in a different industry. Um, it's I mean, like if you look at Marvel, there's Jim Lee and then Jack Kirby kind of obviously is like, he's got his foot in both, you know, in both, uh, in both pools there. But like 
Neil Adams did so much at DC that it's kind of hard to look and see if there's um, another Titan that's that equates to his level of influence. And uh, yeah, it's just like it's crazy to think that he is no longer here because he was such a huge, like, impactful individual while he was here. Yeah, yeah. It's also like I said before, like uh, his presence started a new era in Batman, right? So it's like the Bronze Age, I think. It's considered most of his, you know, his early work and him changing Batman. Um, not a lot of artists can can say that, you know. Mm. And, and, and not guys that have that he's influenced, just like Frank or you know what Frank did for Batman is the same magnitude um, because of him. And uh, together, uh, Neil and Denny O'Neill. Uh, rescued Batman comics uh, in the the years after the 66 Adam West mm. series ended, you know, when the, the sales of the comics just dropped because there wasn't a TV show uh, supporting it anymore, you know, that, that weekly uh, commercial for the character. And that was when they let them uh, sort of uh, reinvigorate everything with uh, that darker look and and tone and really uh, saved the the comics. Yeah, you know, um, and I think Neil also felt that as much as um, Batman 66 was so important, he knew that it was really a parody, you know, like as much as we love it, like it was something missing. It was, it was humorous and it was a joke. Um, and what he did is he made it, um, he plugged it into like real life, situations you know like it looked real and it was it was uh, reflective of the time so he pushed it to modern times do you guys uh it doesn't have to be something that he even drew but something that that is influenced or inspired by him maybe it was a character of his what's the last thing that you guys like grabbed that was a neil adams uh <laughs> thing because I was just thinking about it. So I just grabbed a cover of, I want to say it's Justice League Dark. It's a variant by Clayton Crane. And it's a man, and he, he did a bunch of them, but uh, there's a man bat. And it's a, it's just like a man bat portrait. And it's so sick. And uh, I'm like, God, that, that man bat is so dope. But that's like, I think the latest thing I got in the last couple of months that was obviously a Neil Adams influenced um, cover because, you know, it's his character. But. Anything? What was like the last thing you guys remember of like Neil Adams touching that you grabbed? I grabbed a um, Daredevil number fifteen cover, where it's Daredevil and Bullseye passing each other, kind of mid. I guess they're mid-flight, jumping side by side, and they're each turned around. Daredevil's throwing his, you know his baton and, and bullseye is firing a gun. Um, and I got a trade of that Batman odyssey. I haven't read it yet, but mm. I, I just got that from a friend. Mm. Teases. What's the most recent thing that you can think of? That was a, uh, Neil Adams inspired grab. Um, the one that I, I remember that I bought was right before the pandemic. And, it's funny. He was at this uh, very small con, um, and it was at it was at this um, high school in the city. And it was all the proceeds of this con were like to uh, raise money for the kids in that design school. And Mazakelli was there. Uh, Klaus was there. You know, I was with uh, Bath Force Times. Um, that was literally. And we always talk about the show because this was literally like a week before COVID went down and Neil was there and I walked past him and, you know, everyone said hi, but I, mm. it's funny. Like I had this comic and it was something that was unique to me and it was recent, but I always said, Oh man, you know, my last stop was to try to get that sign from him and we were running out of time and I never did it. And uh, that, that comic book is always uh, burnt in my head. And it was actually a, uh, it was an all-star Batman uh, number one that he did. And what I really loved about it was uh, it had Two-Face on the cover. 
And uh, I just Googled it now because I just wanted to, like, get a visual for it because it's in my box. Um, but, yeah, it's like Batman's giving a haymaker to uh, Two-Face, and he looks like he has kind of a chef's hat and, like, a uh, a knife in his hand. But uh, to me, I'm like, I'll never forget that cover because I had it with me and I went to go – I wanted to get it signed, and we ran out of time. And I'm like, man, it feels like a lot of regret. But, uh, you know, that's what it is. But it, it was that was such a crazy show because Mazak Kelly was there, Klaus was there, um, and it was literally talks of COVID were happening. And a week and a half later, everything shut down. So uh, that moment is just, like, always in my head. Damn. Robin, what about you? What was uh, your last uh, memory and deal grabbing something or something inspired uh, by The last thing I grabbed was actually uh, an, a nice copy of Detective 402, uh, which is, I think it's the second appearance. It's not the first Man Bat. Uh, that's 400, but uh, 402, uh, I think, is the second appearance and just a really, a really good classic Neil cover. Mm. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Um I mean, I think that's good. I think I think we could leave it right there. I mean, we heard from some amazing artists who, uh, you know, they've obviously been heavily inspired and made it their life's work uh, once they saw what kind of uh, Neil did. So, and uh, a huge thanks to all of those guys. Uh, thank you, uh, Jock, Lee, Jason, Doug, and Paul for uh, really going out of your way, uh, putting up with me, uh, demanding <laughs> this uh, this time of you, especially. Paul had to jump through some hoops uh, for, I, I really appreciate that. So thank you so much guys. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, leave it there. Uh, and most of all, uh, thank you to Neil. Uh, the world, you know, especially for your family uh, isn't going to be the same. Cons aren't going to be the same, but uh, comics are going to uh, always keep a part of what you brought to them. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah, he definitely left a legacy of excellence, you know, not just for the art, but also for his efforts in helping the artist. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, guys. Have a good one. Later.